Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. Welcome back to the Women Make Waves podcast listeners. Today, Bloom and I are sitting down with Mariah Moore. You guys probably know this badass from behind the camera of many of your favorite CrossFit documentaries. Mariah is an absolute force to be reckoned with and paved her way really in the media industry as far as CrossFit goes, starting as early as the age of 19. We talk about the fact that everything happens for a reason, how she juggles motherhood and entrepreneurship, what her body image was like during and post-pregnancy and radical acceptance and appreciation. Mariah is absolutely changing the way that women think about the workplace, and she is doing this by setting the most badass example I have ever seen. If this show does not inspire you to run through walls and get things done, I don't know what will. But a good place to start would be the NC Fit app. If you have not already tried out NC Flex or any of the other programs we have available on the app, you are missing out. And by downloading, you get a free week to try it out, fall in love, and then download for the rest of eternity. Enjoy this episode, athletes. We can't wait to talk to you next week. And until then, enjoy the show. What's up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of Women Make Waves. We are sitting down with one of my good friends that I actually feel kind of bad saying good friends. I haven't seen you in years, but <laughs> sitting down with Mariah Moore, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story, everything she's got going on, and how she's making waves. So, like we start every show, how are you making waves, lady? Oh, man, I think I'm making waves by being a representative for mothers in the workplace, not just that, but owning owning a, the production, a production company and, and directing films while also being a full-time mom. Oh, my gosh. I loved watching your pregnancy on, like, through Instagram. As oh <laughs> crazy as that sounds. I got huge. I, I got huge. <laughs> But you were creating not one, but two lives. So talk about that. Let's talk about motherhood of like motherhood of twins. What's that like? Oh man, it's crazy. People always ask me, they're like, oh, or maybe they tell me I I couldn't, I don't know. It's one of the things that I hear the most is it must be so hard having two. And I always respond with, well, it's, it's perspective. I think I probably think it's just as hard as a single, you know, a parent with a singleton feels like it's, like our heart is our heart and that's all we know. And so at the end of the day, like, it's just, it is what it is, you know, like it's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Where does that mindset come from? Because I feel like for a lot of people, like that concept is just super foreign. Um, because, because I look at my sister, my sister is having kids too, where, you know, we're, they're about the same age and she feels, she struggles just as much as, you know, I do, but she hasn't had twins. It's, you know, been singletons. And so it's like, oh, okay. Like we don't know any better. We don't know what it's like to have one. Um, we look in at back at things where like, oh shit, like so-and-so got to, you know, they just had a baby and they get to, you know, work out in peace. Like that was never our reality, you know? So it's like stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, well, but we don't, we didn't know in the time that like, that was people could actually do that kind of stuff with a new baby because our reality was that we couldn't do these things because it was twins. 
And so it's like, we've kind of just come to realize that like, no matter what our heart is our heart and it's all relative and it's all perspective. And so, you know, they might be struggling just as much as we are they, because they don't have the perspective of what it's like to have two and we don't have the perspective of what it's like to have one. And so it's just, I don't know, I guess trying to be empathetic of other people and what they're going through too, you know? Absolutely. How are you juggling a production company? Like you said, naming being a woman in the workforce and being a mom. Not well, (laughs) not well. It's, uh, we, we, uh, Tyson and I, we talk about it like every single day. We're like, what we're doing is not sustainable. Like this is not real life. We don't have childcare, which is insane. Um, but we both also have like the privilege of, we get to both work from home, which is amazing. And so there's a lot of, um, juggling the kids between the two of us in the sense it's like, okay, I'll give you a few hours if you'll give me a few hours. And then really just being able to uh, be better about just managing our time in the sense of like, okay, we have X amount of time to get a workout in shower and eat while the kids are napping. And then we have X amount of time to continue to work. And so, and then a lot of just not sleeping, (laughs) a lot of not sleeping. Zach, I think it'd be really tough, especially coming from like the CrossFit space of those things are such a big priority in life. Um, how are you kind of navigating the change in what it looks like to work out and to eat and to sleep? Uh, again, not well, um, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff that like we've come to learn and it's, um, if anything, we appreciate those kinds of things more in the sense that it's like, we prioritize, let me figure out how to word that, um, the way we look at fitness has changed drastically. We don't look at it as like, oh, this is so much fun. We're going to go do this because we enjoy it. And now it's like, oh my gosh, if we don't do this, we're going to feel like shit. And it's our me time, you know, like going to work out is like the, the 30 minutes a day where it's like, I'm actually doing something just for myself. And so it's like, we appreciate it. I appreciate it way more. And it's, it's, I haven't done, there's so much stuff I haven't done postpartum. So it's like, I mean, I'm two years postpartum and I, I just did my first workout with ab sit-ups it's, and it's like, I've been humbled in it. You know, I just appreciate the ability of just to get in there and do something. I live in like the 10 minute time frame with workouts now. Like I don't work out for more than 10 minutes anymore. <laughs> like that's it. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just changed just necessity now, instead of like a, um, a fun thing to do now, it's like, we have to do it or else we're not going to be feel good physically, mentally, and emotionally. Yeah, I totally see that. That's something that, um, because my husband and I are like in the stages of planning, you know, well, we might want to start having kids. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've had a ton of conversations around is like, what is fitness going to look like? Because it is such a huge part of our lives right now. Um, and it's one of those things where we've both kind of acknowledged that it's not going, it can't take, you know, the back burner. It can't be something that, um, we lose sight of just because it really does a disservice to your family, you know? And I think that having that perspective can be really, really powerful because it gives you the, you know, the power to say, I'm not going to accept feeling like shit because that doesn't serve anybody. And I'm curious to know for you, like, what, have you always had that mentality or is that something that has, you've developed maybe over time? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I think that, um, 
I mean, I always prioritize fitness in the sense of like, I knew that it made me feel better, you know, getting in the gym and working out, but more than I think, um, since having the kids, it's become more of like, a uh, it, it takes care of me mentally and emotionally more now, you know, I don't think I ever depended on it to keep my sanity in, you know, in that sense. But now it's more of like, I have more of like a reverence towards it. It's almost like, Oh God, I don't even know how to, it's just, it's so important now, like these days in the sense of it's like, it's literally 30 minutes. We come out to the garage. We don't even have the time to get to an affiliate because it's like, we don't have an hour of our day to work out anymore, um, to be gone. And so it's like Tyson and I, as soon as the kids go down for a nap, we get out to the garage for 30 minutes and we grab a quick workout and it's, we're like replenishing our souls almost, but we're also spending like quality time together working out. And so it's like, yeah, it's just changed so much in that way. And, uh, instead of just like, I mean, I had the luxury back in the day of working at CrossFit where I was like, man, I got to get up and stretch my legs. So I'm going to go work out for an hour and a half. Cause you know, we can do that. And it was just like, whatever, you know, it was fun. Now it's more of like, oh my, oh my God, I need this. And I love this. And it's more valuable than it ever was, even though I'm not even getting like this, I'm not even close to the same level of fitness that I was when I was, you know, doing it for like an hour and a half every single day. Now the, you know, 10, 15 minute workout, 30 minutes in the garage. It's just, it's so much more. I value it so much more than I ever have. Yeah. I went through a really similar thing because working at NC fit, we did the same thing. We're all in the office upstairs and it was either like, I'm going to run down and jump in on a class or it's open gym. I'm going to go work out. And you don't realize, like I went through from working at home, a huge shift in I didn't ever prioritize my workout. I would just kind of like showed up to work every day. I was like, it's going to happen. Like someone is going to say, let's go work out or let's, you know, take four 30 or whatever it was that when I actually had to start structuring my day around like, okay, I am going to schedule my workout in. Cause otherwise it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It was a crazy, crazy shift for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty nuts. And sometimes it's like, you know, even just the past week, like I'm in the middle of like promoting the 2018 film and it's like, and Tyson is actually, he's out of town. He's off the grid. He's out on like this elk hunt that he's had planned for a year. And it just so happened to like land on the worst fucking week possible. (laughs) Like it is the worst timing. And so it's like, I'm here, I'm solo parenting it for a week and a half with the kids, right. As the movie, the promotional campaign is launching. And then so it's like, I have like a three hour window where the kids are napping, where I can get as much shit done as possible. And by the end of that three hours, it's like, okay, I have 10 minutes left, uh, you know, after having done all of my work, I can either choose to shower or I can work out. And almost every single time it's like, I'm going to take 10 minutes and work out. And it's going to be the kind of workout where it's like, you know, first round's the warm up. you know, one of those kinds of things. It's like, I'm just going to do burpees and jump over something. Cause it's like, that's what I have time for. And it's, it's. And I'm always, I'm always glad that I make that choice over something else, you know, maybe whatever it might be, maybe it's showering, maybe it's, I mean, even eating in peace, you know? So how did you find that, like create that shift in that mindset? Because I know myself included, I'm like shower time. So how did you like create that list of priorities? Uh, I think it was just like a natural progression of things of like, um, not doing that for a couple of months, you know, like after we had the kids or like, right. As work was really starting to pick up and, and realizing like, Oh my God, I feel like shit. I feel like I look like shit. You know, I, I need to, I just, I have to change something or, you know, whatever it might be. It was just, it kind of just, 
happened <laughs> out of necessity, you know? <laughs> I couldn't say there was like a major like shift in my mentality. It was more of like a, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Gotta look good, feel good, you know? Yeah, I feel good more than anything. <laughs> Go for it, Plume. So I have, we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but you're changing this expectation of, you know, what fitness looks like also changes the expectation of what your body looks like, because, you know, you're going, you go through this big change and this is, um, more of a, this has been on my mind a lot because as we're like planning to start a family, I'm like, you know, I actually kind of like my body the way it is, what's going to happen. And I work with tons of clients on this very thing, right? Like understanding that your body goes through this amazing change and it's so it's really, really powerful and it's magical and all these great things. And you live in that body. So how have you been navigating the change of, um, maybe being and feeling super, super fit in the days when you could work out for the hour and a half to now, maybe you, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but maybe you don't feel as fit because you're not doing the same amount of fitness. What has that kind of, you know, path look like for you? Yeah, it's a, it's kind of crazy. So like the first thing that went to my mind when I found out that it was twins was my body. Like, oh fuck, like that is going to wreck my body. And I was less worried about like the fitness aspect of it because I mean, you can always, you know, fitness is something that you can work, work at you know, like if it's it's like, if I prioritize that, like I can be where I want to be fitness wise, it was more of the things that were completely out of my control. So how large I was going to get, um, what was going to happen to my skin, you know, things like that, that I had a very hard time, um, coming to terms with, especially as the pregnancy progressed. And I just continued to be pregnant way longer than everybody had told me I was going to be pregnant. (laughs) And so (laughs) I was just, there was a lot of like, that kind of stuff that like really came to mind for me that I was thinking about. And, um, the number one thing that like I walked away with is there's this really amazing movement that's happening, like in society with how women feel towards their bodies. But it was kind of one of those things for me where I actually might be one of the only people that feel like this, but I actually got angry at people that were constantly saying like, you should love your body. It did something amazing. You should love it. You should love it. You know, you know, my, your, your tiger marks or whatever, tiger stripes or whatever it was. And I was like, no, I don't love it. At the end of the day, like, I don't love it. I don't like how my body has changed, but that's okay because I, I, I respect it. You know, like I respect what my body did and I'm incredibly grateful to it but if I could go back and choose to not have it impact my body in the way that it has, I would 100% choose that, you know, like, I don't like having all this excess skin. I don't like having like my belly button destroyed, like the twins wrecked havoc on me, you know, but that's okay. It's okay to feel that way, you know? And, and, and I feel like women were, would, I wish women were told that it's okay to not love it you know, instead of constantly being shoved down your throat, like you should love it. You should love it. You know, you should be, you know, learn to love your body, learn to love your stretch marks, learn to love that. It's like, no, you don't have to do that. You can, you're, you have the right to feel however you want to feel about it, but you should respect it. You know, you should be grateful that your body was capable of doing such a thing. Um, but you can't outwork excess skin. (laughs) You can't outwork the diastasis. I mean, you can try, some people can, um, 
but there's also a lot of genetics that go into whether or not you're able to close that up. You know, that, that gap, um, I can't outwork my stretch marks. Like if it's there, no matter what, and I have to just accept it. I don't love it. I wish it wasn't like that, but I respect my body and I'm grateful that I carry, I was able to carry my twins for as long as I could. How long was that? I went at the 35 week mark. My uh, OB told me, she said, um, she goes, oh, you're going to be in here in a few days delivering. And then a week passed and then another week passed and then another week passed. And uh, I made it to 39 weeks and I really wanted to go. um, I really wanted to go into labor naturally. I didn't want to be induced, but at 39 weeks, I was like, fucking get these kids out of me now. And so I ended up getting induced at 39 weeks. (laughs) I remember watching your Instagram stories. You're like going on another walk. Trying to get these oh, out. I, we did everything under the sun to try to like go into labor and it just, it wouldn't happen. Fucking insane. They, I was so scared. I stopped working out like for a good like month. Cause I was so scared of going into like, um, uh, preterm labor because like, that's what you hear with twins. It's like, oh, they're going to be born at 34 weeks or 30 weeks, you know, like, and I was petrified. I didn't want my kids to end up in the NICU because I watched my little sister go end up in the NICU for six weeks. And like how awful that was for my family. So I was petrified and then they wouldn't get, get the fuck out. I was just like, God, get out of my body. They're like, this is great. Why would we leave here? It was insane. Yeah. 39 weeks. I think I would have gone. I'm glad I got induced too. Cause I think I would have gone another week at least before going into labor naturally. My body was just like, no, not ready to let these kids go. It was insane. They're like, it's warm in here. Mom gives us good food. Like- oh my gosh. Nuts. <laughs> they just, oh, it was terrible. I cried every day for a month. Not even kidding. I do that too. And I'm not pregnant. What is that? Oh my God. If I have babies, sorry, world. Sorry. <laughs> Lindsay and I are always like, I know Lindsay and I are always like, well, we just end up crying on these podcasts. Imagine. Can you? <laughs> no, it's just going to be a cry fest. You... Yeah. 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 The moment Bloom is pregnant, I'm like, sorry, girl, you can't host anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I will just be straight crying. Just on mute, sobbing. <laughs> you, you know what's hilarious, though? I wasn't like overly emotional or anything while I was pregnant. I feel like Tyson cried nonstop. I like up until I got pregnant, I think I like in the four years that we were together before I got pregnant, I think I'd maybe seen him cry once. And then it was like, as soon as I got pregnant, I was like, you're crying every other day, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> he was, his emotions were just through the roof. <laughs> you're like, get it together, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to be a rock right now. Oh man. It was funny. <laughs> um, what was, cause you said it earlier that it's been really humbling getting back into training, obviously juggling, having the kids there. And when you have free time to do it, but also like what your body was capable of doing and is capable of doing. What has your mindset been around training? What have your physical limitations been and how have you kind of navigated that? Yeah. So because I got so big with the twins, um, so the, <laughs> the way they measure your belly is they measure it by, um, I believe centimeters. And so like, and it's like one centimeter per week. So like the average person, their belly gets to be about 40 centimeters big. And that's based on 40 weeks. Um, excuse me. Um, I got up to 50 centimeters. So like, that's like 50 weeks. It was something like 11 and a half months pregnant with a singleton or something like that. It was like, I got big, um, but because I got so large, um, my abs had to separate so much. So I think it goes the degree It's like five degrees with the abs separation. Um, and so it's like, um, 
and they base it on fingers, right? So it's like three fingers or five fingers or whatever. So I was, I had about three, three finger length of separation, which is kind of, it's not too bad, all things considered. Um, so there was a lot of like, my core was very, very, very weak coming back into doing fitness again. Um, and then I also, um, saw a pelvic floor therapist to see like how my pelvic floor was doing, because that's a big one that I think a lot of people, um, don't pay enough attention to is the pelvic floor postpartum. Like you're not supposed to pee when you're working out. Like that is not a good sign. If you're peeing, it means you have a weak pelvic floor and that's something you need to work on. And so like, I wanted to see how mine was doing before I really got into a lot of things. And I was good on that end. Um, I don't pee, which is great. Um, but there's a lot of limitations definitely with my core. And then also still trying to take it easy with my pelvic floor anyway, just cause it was a little bit, it was weaker than of course it was before, <laughs> before, um, I got pregnant, obviously. Um, so like, it's literally been like two years I, since I've done ab mat sit-ups and I'm like starting to finally feel comfortable enough doing it again, because even though like my abs haven't closed up, there's like a difference between, um, it being functional. I think that's how they put it like functional or not. Like even that you can have the ab separation, but if it's like super deep instead of super shallow, there's a lot of stuff you can't be doing. And so like, I'm in a, I've learned how to engage my core to not put strain on the diastasis and, and actually just protect my core. But even still, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't walk after giving birth. Like I literally couldn't walk because my, um, my hips were so jacked up. Um, I actually went and saw, I got like x-rays done by a chiropractor and he was like, Oh, you know, there was this, there's this little, um, uh, separation in your pelvis. And he's like, it's supposed to be, he was like the size of a river. Yours is the size of the grand Canyon. Like that's how, but he was like, this is by far the worst I've ever seen. And I'm like, Oh, great. Like my Tyson had to like lift my feet into bed. Cause I couldn't lift my feet for like a week after it was nuts. Um, so even still like I deal with, um, some weird, um, imbalances in my, in my, um, my pelvis. So when I squat, I'm crooked. And that's one of those things where I'm like, well, if I had enough time, I'd go see a chiropractor and get that fixed up. So it's like, I don't, I still don't squat heavy. Um, I just can't do toes to bar. There's a lot of stuff that I still can't do, um, that I figure maybe someday I'll be able to do again, but like, I'm so past that point of caring and not in a bad way, but more of like, I'm here to be fit and not to be competitive. And there are other core, like core exercises that I can do. Um, and, and I don't have to do toes to bar anymore. You know, like I'm in a place in my life where like, it doesn't matter. Like that kind of stuff doesn't matter anymore. And like, and it's actually, again, it's like a natural progression of like, you just slowly let those things go. And it just, you know, like, I think a few years ago before I got pregnant, like I would have had a really hard time mentally and emotionally with like letting go of those movements. But now it's just like, you know what, that doesn't serve me anymore. And that's all right. Yeah, it's a weird shift. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I have to tell you, you're really selling pregnancy right now. I, I, <laughs> this I, is a really uh, exciting time. I, um, I did, didn't love being pregnant. I didn't, but I, it was also one of the most, it is by far the coolest shit I've ever done in my entire life. By far. Being pregnant is so fucking insane. It, like, it's mind blowing. Like feeling the babies move inside of you is just the most mind blowing experience in your entire life. Um, Tyson and I like had like 
hearts in our eyes for each other through the entire pregnancy. Like we just connected like on a whole different level. Uh, Like I, I, I didn't love it. It's not one of those things where it's like, Oh, I love being pregnant or I miss being pregnant. Cause I don't, I don't miss it, but it's like, I, I appreciated it. You know, I was really grateful for it. And it was a really amazing experience and it was really fucking uncomfortable at the end. But like, even then it was like, I just never lost sight of like, this is the coolest shit that I'm ever going to do in my entire life. And now I get to look at my kids and when they're little shitheads, I'm like, I made you, you better shut up. I made you. <laughs> you literally- owe me. Yeah. No, I won't ever do that. Cause they didn't choose to get born, but I'm like, man, it's the coolest shit to watch them running around and be like, I made those. I like to remind Tyson every single day. I made that for you. Hey, that kid, I made that for you. (laughs) That is awesome. I love the, like, the conversation that we keep coming back to is this, like, appreciation and acceptance. It doesn't have to be something that you love all the time, Mm -hmm. but you do, like, you get to look at it from a perspective of accepting and appreciating just, like, what went into that. Mm -hmm. act, you know? And I think that is super cool. And that's something that anybody can take away, whether or not you're, you know, looking to get pregnant or just like going through a hard time in your life. I think a lot of times we're really, really quick to judge ourselves for the way we look right now or the way that we feel. And I was just thinking about this recently because I've been having a lot of conversations, I think maybe because it's around the holiday season that, you know, people have these like they have these really harsh inner critics, especially around times where a lot of things are out of your control and being able to take anything away from this. It's just like having that perspective of this isn't permanent. And some things maybe are right. Like changes in your body. Maybe some of those things are permanent, but there's no point in hating it because that's just putting energy into a place where it doesn't really need to go. Yeah. I think that there's, I'm like, that's, that's something that I've had to learn, um, since coming into this position as a sole director on film in filmmaking too, is, is that there's room to, um, have insecurities and it's okay to be insecure, you know, and it's okay to recognize like, oh, I'm feeling really insecure about this, but to use it in a way that benefits you, you know? So it's like, Yeah. Like one of the number one things that like I've learned with directing is, it's like, I'm super insecure about it. Like being, having, owning a film, what completely, like I am the person that is going to answer for any, you know, success or failures in this film. Like at the end of the day, it's all going to fall on me. And like, that can feel really like debilitating, like the fear in that and the insecurities and like, Oh my God, like nobody's going to like it. Or, Oh my God, somebody, somebody else could have done so much better something like that. And like what I've had to come to terms with, like, was like, there's room for that to feel that like, that's okay. It's okay for me to feel that way. As long as I use that to motivate me to continue to work harder. Like, honestly, I almost feel like if you're not feeling insecure about these kinds of things or in certain parts of your life, then how the hell are you supposed to progress? You know, that's the kind of stuff that pushes you to move forward. Like if you're insecure in your body, like why, you know, like use that, use that to be like, okay, well then, then I'm going to go get in the gym or I'm going to go be a little bit better or things like that. You know, not that I wish insecurity on people, but more of just like, it has its space in our lives. And like, 
you can't turn off insecurities, no matter how many times somebody tells you, oh, you need to love your body. Like, that's not just like a decision you're going to make one day, you know, it's more of like (laughs) just coming to terms with, yeah, I don't love this about my body, you know, and that's okay. Or, you know, I'm going to use that or, you know, like, I almost feel like there's almost shaming and feeling insecure these days. Like you're not allowed to dislike things or, you know, about yourself or like there's, yeah, there's almost shame in it nowadays, which is kind of crazy to me that like, we've gone from like one end of the spectrum to the other. It's almost like, um, that meme. It's like never in the history of ever has telling someone to calm down, actually (laughs) calmed them down. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, I'm really, really interested, especially now that we're talking more about filmmaking, because I met you when you were like early, early days of working at CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, you know, the the idea of imposter syndrome comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things Bloom and I run into all the time is working in such a male dominated industry and paving your way as like a powerful female. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Can you tell listeners kind of your background, how you launched into this space and what that process was like? Yeah. Um, huh. man, it's, it's funny when you're living in it. Cause you don't recognize the hardships when you're in them, which is kind of crazy it's kind of crazy. Um, so I started like the bottom of the totem pole at CrossFit. It was, I was just a production assistant on the update show, um, wrapping cables, putting mics on people, you know, doing the occasional, like 15 to 20 second edit for things, you know, B-roll, whatever it might be. Um, and over a few years, I kind of slowly climbed the ranks up to being a co-director on these films. And, um, yeah, that was a really (laughs) interesting journey as a, as the only woman in the company that was very quickly, as the only person in the company that was climbing the ranks as quickly as I was. Um, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that it was harder as a woman, you know? Um, and not because of my, the higher ups, because I have so much love and gratitude towards the people, my bosses at CrossFit because they continuously um, gave me opportunities and saw my value and continued to push me. But it was really hard with my peers. Um, I think that they, I often felt like they, there was definitely a level of intimidation on their part. Like they didn't like that I was climbing their ranks as quickly as I was. And then they didn't, there were times when it, some of my peers, like it was made pretty clear that they didn't think I should be on their level, you know, and that I didn't deserve to be there. And so there was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, you know, and I had to constantly remind myself that it's like, I'm doing this so that the next woman that comes after me doesn't have to deal with this bullshit, (laughs) you know? And it's like, I had to keep reminding myself that like, I am going to survive this and I'm going to put up with this bullshit And I'm going to continue to put my head down and work because I want it to be easier for the next woman that comes after me, you know, it's nuts. And I think that a lot of that too, is like, I watched other people, men and women attempt the same trajectory as me and quit. Like they decided it was too hard or like there was too much bullshit from other people. And then they decided, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm going to leave. And I kind of feel like, my mother did a good job with me of telling me like, 
you are a woman and you are Mexican and you are young, it's not going to be easy for you. Like she prepared me to like, it's never going to be easy for you. People are never going to want to make it easy for you. You're going to, you're going to have to fight every step of the way. And because that was instilled in me, I never backed down, you know, which I'm super grateful for, but it's like, yeah, I look at back at that. I was like, oh, that wasn't easy. (laughs) It wasn't easy as a woman trying to get to my position, but I'm really glad that, that I kept fighting for it, you know? Yeah, that's huge. And that's also such a big responsibility to take on as a young woman. Like, I know that I have to go through this so that the people behind me, you know, won't have to go through that. And I'm really curious to know um, if you maybe had any like mantras or anything that you use to get through that time, because that, I mean, that's a lot to handle. No, I wouldn't say I had any mantras. I just, like I said, that it was constant reminding myself that like, this isn't just for me. This is for the people that come after me. I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for the, the women that come after me. You know, like I need to set an example. I need to create this space in the sports industry, even if it's just starting with CrossFit in the sports industry where it's completely normal for a young Mexican female to direct films, you know, sports documentaries. Cause it's just like where we're at right now. That's not it's not very common like at all. <laughs> and so it's like, I need to create this space, not just for me. I'm creating this space for any young woman that comes after me. And what listeners might not know is you were so young. Yeah. You were doing Like how old were you when you started working at CrossFit? I CrossFit hired me when I was 19. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bloom just about spit out her water. Like, <laughs> are you kidding? Yeah. Nuts. Right. But like, that was like, again, like CrossFit HQ and like, I don't work there anymore. I haven't worked there for since 2019, early 2019, but like it holds such a, you know, big chunk of my heart. Like, I love it because it's like, I can't, I can't think of any other company that would be like, yeah, come on, you know, come, come help us direct. I mean, I was 21. I co-directed my first film at 21 years old. And so it's like, that was the Froning film. No, that was, um, a decade of fitness. I believe that was, I think I was 21, maybe 22. Um, I co-directed or co-edited Froning with Heber Cannon. He directed solo director on that though. And that was when I was 20. Yeah. Like for those of you listening, your jaws should absolutely be fucking dropped right now because <laughs> when I was 20, I was uh, like waitressing and thought that was Asshole. the hardest thing to ever happen in my, in my life. Um, so like the amount of inspiration that brings is just unreal. And I hope anyone that is young and listens to this show is like, fuck, yes, I can like pave my own way. But here's the thing though. Here's what I've learned recently is I have recognized that I am the anomaly with, I decided what I wanted to do at a very young age and I've stuck with it and I was able to succeed at a very young age. What I've come to learn and what I tell people like all the time is that the stats are that some of the most successful and wealthiest people in the world didn't find the profession that they succeeded in until they were in their forties. That's the norm, you know? So it's like these kids in high school, like, I'm like, Hey, like, if you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life, that's all right. Some of the most successful people, except for maybe fucking, you know, Steve jobs or whoever it is, like the majority of those people that have really succeeded in life, don't figure out what the fuck they want to do until they're in their forties. So it's like, don't stress about not knowing what you're going to do with the rest of your life. 
when you're a teenager or your early 20s or even your early 30s, like you have time. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel like you're super lucky that you, you know, knew that that's what you wanted to do. And, um, you know, you but I think that it's worth noting, like you knew that's what you wanted to do. And so you made conscious choices to put yourself in rooms where you could do that. Yes. And I think that is ageless. Like you can do that at any time in your life. Um, That is one of the coolest things I think about being in this sport of CrossFit is that that has been a, a message that people have kind of been pushed. I think that like you can do whatever it is, whether it's like you want to run a sub seven minute mile, or maybe you want to do a muscle up or maybe like random things, you know, like I'm just thinking of all of these athletic seats that people that first start CrossFit. I mean, Lindsay and I talk about this all the time because when we first started CrossFit, we were like, never thought that we could do any of the things that we saw all of these other people doing, but then we use that as, well, why can't I do it? And you're, you paving the way of you know, making sure that you open the doors for the women that come behind you. That theme in life is invaluable. And I think that that's just so, so cool that we get to, you know, talk about that. Yeah. And I think that that's like, again, I think that's why I love CrossFit and CrossFit HQ or, you know, when I worked at CrossFit, that's why I loved it so much because Um, the people that they put in positions of power or that they elevated or whatever, it was never based on, you know, what did you go to school for? Um, you know, what, how many years do you have in this field of work or anything like that? It's always been, can you do the job? Can you do it? Well, cool. Like, I don't care who you are, what you look like, how old you are, what's between your legs. Like, can you do the job? great, cool. You're hired, you know? And I think that that's just the same kind of mentality that they've, that you find in just the CrossFit world. Like it's not about who you are or, you know, how old you are, where you come from. You're welcome here. We want you here. You know, you're a part of this. What was it like? Um, because your career as a filmmaker has not been without bumps and bruises and twists and turns um I mean as as some listeners might know a lot like you keep saying you know my time at CrossFit my time at CrossFit there was a time when a lot of the creatives at CrossFit were kind of let to go do their own thing um yeah as kind of a kinder way to put it maybe um what has that been like kind of reestablishing yourself as a filmmaker outside of the umbrella of CrossFit though you're still working closely with the sport Man, I, I honestly, like, I feel like I haven't even had time to get out of the umbrella of CrossFit yet. Um, it kind of like me because the entire media team was laid off at CrossFit, um, at the end of 2018 through like early 2019. Um, and it just so happened to perfectly be go hand in hand with me getting pregnant. (laughs) So it was like, I didn't even have like this crazy time to be like, Oh my God, what do I have next? Like I knew what I had next. I was like, I have to welcome these twins into this world and like figure that shit out. Um, and so it's like, it kind of, it kind of worked out that like at the point where I was finally able to start working on bigger projects again, um, I was approached to do the 2018 film 
And so it's like, now it's like, I have a couple of documentaries that I need to, that I'm working on that I need to get done. And then, you know, down the road, like, I can't wait to see like what, what we're going to do next. Or like, maybe it's more films with CrossFit. Maybe I start to venture outside of the realm of CrossFit and do other things. But like at the moment, like it's kind of just happened in such a beautiful natural progression of like, I had a year and a half to, you know, have the kids get established, figure out a little bit more of a work-life balance, you know, figure out how to do this with the kids. And then it's like, bam, can you make this documentary? (laughs) Divine timing, right? Oh my God. It couldn't have. I remember the day we got laid off. Tyson and I kept saying, everything happens for a reason. This is awful right now. But like, we're like, we literally said the day that we got laid off was we're going to look back on today and be like, man, I'm so glad that happened. You know, like we kept, you know, ourselves really grounded in that sense and looking back we're like man everything panned out exactly as it needed to happen it was perfect okay so I have to know if you're not directing CrossFit films what would you do what would your ideal be oh man I think that's the one thing that I I learned through doing documentaries for CrossFit is I love documentaries I love making documentaries so I think I would continue um, in the documentary space oh I don't know what other things a passion project for me would be um doing a documentary on there's this one thing that like I've really come to realize is that there's this generation of people that have so there was this generation it's my grandparents generation um that they my grandparents immigrated from Mexico my grandmother immigrated from Mexico um dealt with a lot of racism um And so with her kids, she tried to make them as white as possible. So it was like, she didn't teach them Spanish because it was one of those things where it was like, we don't, we don't want you to face the hardships that we've faced because we spoke Spanish and because we were, you know, from Mexico and all these things. And so my mom doesn't speak Spanish, hundred percent Mexican doesn't speak a lick of Spanish. And so she wasn't able to pass that on to me. And so I don't speak any Spanish. And like, for the longest time, it was really funny. Like I was the butt of jokes. Cause I was this Mexican that couldn't speak Spanish, but my white husband speaks Spanish because he did a Mormon mission in the Dominican Republic. But like, as time has passed, like, it's not funny to me as much anymore. Now it's like, man, like that was robbed of me, you know, racism generations ago robbed that of me. Like I have lost touch completely with what should have been my culture, you know, the Mexican culture. Like I don't have that in my life. Like I don't feel connected to that. And it's like a very, and it's, it's a heartbreaking thing for me because I feel robbed of it. And there's like the more people of my generation that I talk to, the more I'm like, oh my God, there's so many people like me. There's this entire generation where the culture was lost, you know, and it was because these parents were like trying to protect their children. And now there's this other generation that's trying to figure out how to reconnect with their lost culture. And so it's like, I kind of want to do a documentary on that at some point. Like, I think that would be pretty amazing. So I think- So I have full body goosebumps. Like this is you manifesting. You've got to do that. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I feel like if I wait too long, somebody else is going to do it. (laughs) It's super interesting though, because um, my husband's family emigrated from Ecuador and the same thing, like his parents were, I mean, they spoke Spanish in their house, but like they were super adamant that their kids needed to speak English as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And he has the background of Spanish, like he can speak fluent Spanish, but 
I can totally see that being such a like strong drive for parents. Like we always want as I'm not a parent. I don't know why I'm talking as if I'm a parent, but you know, parents always want the best for their kids and they want them to be set up to be these amazing people that don't struggle the way that they struggled in their lives. And it can be really tough to, you know, balance that because how do you navigate, you know, like, I don't want you to struggle. So I'm going to teach you something that I feel like would have helped me not struggle. And I feel like we're all just kind of fucking figuring it out. Yeah. And that's, it's actually really sad. Cause like when I've talked to my grandmother about it, she's like, I have so many regrets. Like I regret not teaching my kids Spanish or I regret not maintaining the structure of like how, um, when, you know, in the Mexican culture, like how they take on names, you know, it's usually like, you know, my mom should have been, um, Solis Leva, I believe, because you, you keep your both, you keep your mother's last name and your father's last name and you combine them. And she has so much regret for not doing that, you know, that her, her name, that her family name hasn't gotten to live on because she decided to go the American route and just give her kids her, their father's names, you know, instead of holding on to that name, you know? So like a lot of things like that, where it's like at the time it felt like the right thing to do. She was trying to protect her kids, but as society has progressed and like those kinds of things are more accepted. And now it's like, it's viewed as like, what a benefit to be bilingual. Now she's like, now she has the room to mourn the decisions that she made, you know, and it's really heartbreaking. That's a tough one. I have a funny story when I, so we did like a courthouse wedding almost over a year ago. And at the courthouse, they ask you for, you know, your birth certificate that has your last name on it so that they can change your last name. And Gabe has two last names because that is like Hispanic culture. And I had asked if I could keep my last name along with that. So it would have been Bloom Yana's Herrera. And I was so stoked about it because that would be such a cool, yeah. you know, like I always wanted that many names. I think that'd be awesome. Um, and they said no, but I still, I put it on everything. Yeah. Well so. then you should, uh, how, how does it work? It's like you, so which one is his father's name? Herrera. Herrera. So then you no, should be. just kidding. Yana's. This is last, is his father's last name. Well, you, so the, one of the names that, of his last names you should keep, and then you should attack on your last name as well. Right. So it would be, it would technically be Bloom Giannis. Yes. Giannis and then, Bloom. and then your children would be, it would, it would be switched the other way around. Right. I truly just want you guys to take on Blanes. And- <laughs> That's what I've been trying. I've been trying for so long. That was our Wi-Fi password for a really long time. I tried to make it our wedding hashtag. Oh, I still, anytime I refer to your wedding in like the third person, it's the Blanes wedding. <laughs> the Blanes wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's something I've like kind of talked about too. It's like, I kind of, that's another thing. It's like trying to reconnect with your, your heritage. It's like, I kind of wish that I had structured my kids' last names to be, I think it's more old right. Right. No, old right more. I see. I can't even remember the way. Ugh, see, it would, but like having both of our last names and like it reintroducing that way of structuring names because even though they're only a quarter Mexican, it's like even more so. I'm like, well, I want you to be connected with your heritage, you know? And as I try to get reconnected with my heritage. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really cool. And I think I have the same um I have similar types of like feelings because I'm Jewish and a lot of 
um, growing up, I had a lot of resistance to leaning into religion. And I think that it's something that, you know, just culturally, there's so many really amazing traditions in the Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, you know, it's like, well, I really do wish that when I was growing up, I did put more energy and effort into learning those things. Like, especially mm-hmm. when my grandparents were around, cause now there's not really anybody that's going to pass count those things. Yeah. And it's just interesting. Like as you grow, you develop this, um, like sense of responsibility to pass down traditions that maybe you didn't even get to learn. Yeah. But, uh, I totally feel that. Especially when you, you start having kids too, like that desire to reconnect with your heritage, like gets way stronger. It's crazy. Cause it's, it becomes one of those things where it's like, Oh shit. Like I want my kids to have that, you know, like I want my kids to feel connected in that way. You know, my grandmother's still alive and she's like the last person in our family that is like speaks fluent, you know, Spanish. And it's like, it's almost like I go into panic mode when I think about it. Cause it's like, once she's gone, that that's the last connection, like that's gone, you know? And so it's like, now it's like this effort to like reintroduce that back into our lives of like, this is where we come from. Like, this is what our culture is. You know, this is who we are as we're about to lose the, the last person that really came from that, you know? Yeah. All right. So we're going to manifest when this documentary is going to <laughs> In a couple of years, hopefully. Yeah, this is needed. Two years. <laughs> Love it. I can't yeah. wait. I'm gonna. It'll be Netflix original. Just oh, kidding. I would. Oh, I would love that. There we go. <laughs> there we go. That's what we're manifesting. That's Consider me be, being like such a witch. Yeah, that's my witchy <laughs> side coming out. Don't you worry. Don't you worry, Mariah. It's coming. <laughs> well, I feel like we have talked about so much epic stuff in today's show. If there was any part of it that especially touched someone, or they want to follow your journey, or they want to get a hold of you some way, what's the best way to stay in touch? Oh man. Instagram, I guess <laughs> I'm terrible about responding to emails and DMS. Um, I have so much on my, in my life going on right now. It's just, it's, it's very hard to get a hold of me these days. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we will link the Instagram in the show notes. Mariah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. 